So we're in a, a series over the summer uh, rooted in Genesis, and I'm going to take up uh, in the, the, the narrative of God making a covenant with Abraham. And uh, I want to I talk real quickly about what is covenant. I, I know many of us know the word. Anybody want to throw out, what, what, is, what does covenant mean? Promise. Good. What else? Binding. Good. What I have here is a deep and binding promise based on a long-term relationship of trust between two parties. Uh, it includes specific terms to the covenant, and there's often a, a ceremony or a sign that accompanies uh, a covenant. And I just want to say the, the, the ingredients of the covenants that we have looked at, you know, God with Adam and Eve, uh, God with Noah, and now God with Abraham, uh, I want to throw out a few ingredients. I, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm on the front end of, of a pancake making uh, kick. And uh, I, can I tell you the secret to good pancakes? <laughs> a sifter. If you sift the flour, it, you come out with a totally different product. But anyway, ingredients. <laughs> I, I was motivated enough that I got up and had pancakes this morning. <laughs> Part of our summer routine. Um, so, so ingredients that we see in these covenants. One is, is that what the covenant that God is inviting his people into is beyond our strength, beyond our ability to control. We can't, we can't control it if we wanted to, uh, but it's far beyond our human strength or control. Uh, two, the plan is bigger than we can see or even understand. If you can understand it or if you, can, if you can, if you feel like you can see it, it's far bigger. Most of the time we're asking questions, what in the world is going on here? But in those places, we have to understand this is bigger than what we can see and understand. Uh, three, God, God is he's about relationship, and he is committing himself to walk with us in the journey of, the, of living the covenant out. It's not some far-off destination. He said, I'll see you when you get there. This is him saying, I'm, I'm inviting you into covenant, and I'm going to walk with you. My presence will go with you as this covenant that's far beyond what you can imagine, far beyond what you can accomplish in your own strength. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to walk through this with you. And then the fourth ingredient is what he asks us to come to the table with. That's faith. Faith. And it's, there's this real powerful um, crux of this covenant that we'll get to in a second that God makes with Abraham. I want you to open up uh, the word here, and we're going to read, uh, starting in uh, Genesis 11. We're just going to read real quick here and set the stage before we dive into God and making covenant with Abraham. But uh, let's, I'm going to start reading in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11. It says, Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Izcah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, of son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Okay, just real quick, a few a few quick takeaways. Lot. What 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 happened to Lot and his family? 
Did you catch that? What happened to Lot's father? He died. So we don't know when Lot's father dies, but I, but I want I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this in a second. Lot was fatherless. Um, two. What, what's Sarai's can, situation? What is this, what does the text tell us about Sarai? She's barren. She can't have a baby. And you know we 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 can think that, think about that in a historical context. Okay, she was childless. We know there's more to the story, but we, I want to just pause here and say that for for a, for a wife and a mom to not be able to have a baby. That is a lot of emotional, you know, mental, and there can even be physical pain associated with that. And so I just want to acknowledge that's a painful place. Uh, and it's in that culture, there is significant amounts of shame. And it was, uh, you know, assumed that, that, that she was in that state probably because of a curse. Uh, and so that was a really rough situation for her and, and, and Abraham, especially for Sarai. And then a uh, third thing I want to note is, is Terah, the father, he picks up his family from, from Ur. And where does it say he's headed? To Canaan. This is where, this is where God is calling Ab- Abram. So we don't know why Terah picks his family up, but he sets out towards Canaan, but he stops short. He goes about 600 miles, stops, and ends up just staying there. So that's where this is where uh, Genesis 12, as God initiates with Abram directly, this is, where, this is where the story picks up. So the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So God initiates with Abram and calls Abram uh, to go where? Where does he tell Abram to go? He doesn't say where, does he? He says, would you come with me to a land that I will show you? How many, how many of y'all are ready to pack up? <laughs> Noah, Noah, Isaac, how, how would you feel if your mom and dad said, hey, we're packing up all the stuff you can fit in a suitcase. You have to leave some stuff behind. <laughs> And, and, and Legos, Legos is what's known. And then we're going we're gonna to move, but we don't know where we're going to move to. What do you think? You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah? All right. All right. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to go to the desert. Oh, you've been watching, you've been watching Bear Grylls or, or um, Coyote Peterson a little too much. You want to go try to survive in the desert? Okay. Okay. 
But, but the reality is, is, you know, regardless of how big an entourage that, that Abram has, and it, it appears, you know, from the text as we go, that it's a fairly big entourage, living, in a, living a nomadic life is a place of intense vulnerability and not, not knowing where you're going to live and then living, living you know, moving your stuff from place to place. That's, that's hard living, number one. And number two, it's intense vulnerability. So Abraham says yes, and, and, and uh, here's God's covenant that he starts laying out. He, God talks about a people, a purpose, and a place in his covenant with Abram. Uh, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. I'll bless those who, who bless you and curse those who curse you. So there's protection, provision, identity in, in this covenant. Now, I want us to stop and think, in terms of when, when we talk about making a name great, what does that mean in, in, in our culture and society? It, it usually means glory for self, accumulation for self. It, it means the purpose of conquest, to exploit, to control. That's what, that's what a name for myself means in the here and now. And, and even, even in the, the Genesis narrative, we look back one chapter before, and the people at the Tower of Babel who are building this tower to the heavens, and they say, we're going to do this because we want to make a name for ourselves. But here's God talking to Abram and saying, I'm going to make your name great. But what does it look like when God makes a name great? What purpose does he have? It's to be a blessing. And he, and he starts to unpack that purpose more. He, God is saying, I'm going to create a new nation and a new culture through you, Abram. And he says, your purpose is that you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. How, how far does God say this blessing is going to reach? How far? Say it a little louder. All peoples, all families, all nations, yes, this is, this is a, a, a far-reaching promise, a blessing, covenant. And when, when, when God is interacting with Moses and the people of Israel in Exodus, God says this, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What's the role of a priest? It's to be a mediator. And in this case, Israel's purpose, God's purpose for Abraham and his descendants is to be a blessing, to be a mediator to the rest of the world for, for him, right? To call people to the, to the purposes of God, to call people in relationship with the Lord. So we've got a people, a purpose, and a place. And, and you know, at first God says, go to a land that I'll show you. And so Abraham went, and then once he gets, once he gets it, it, into the land of Canaan, God says, the soil underneath your feet, this is the land. This is the land. And why is, why is geography, why is land important? You know, we're, we're, not, we're not, a few of us may be actually Jewish in the room. I'm not, I'm not Jewish by heritage. I've never been to Israel before. So, it, you know, a, a, a place, that, you know, the land of Israel doesn't connect with me directly as much. But why is a place important? You know, my, my, my musings on this in the Word as I've prepared is 
God, God is beyond geography, right? He's omnipresent, omnipowerful, omniscient. But we live in time, in space, in one place. And so if God is going to interact with us, if he's going to have a relationship with us as, as people, whether it's an individual or, or a corporate community, he enters into time and space. And, and, and so it, I think it, it really is important, especially as followers of Jesus, looking back into the Old Testament, to really to grab on to, to culture and place and time and space, because this is how God is choosing to reveal his character, who he is to us. And, and so I, I want us, to, I want us to, to really try to grasp what's the significance of what the Lord is doing in time and culture and place. <clears throat> Okay, people, purpose, and place. Uh, two things I want to I want to look at real quick in the actual Hebrew of what the Lord uh, as the Lord is interacting with Abraham here. The word blessing, the word in Hebrew can mean blessing to bless. It can also mean to kneel. It can mean you know to be blessed or or to cause someone to kneel. And in order to receive a blessing, in order to receive a gift or a blessing, there, there's a place of humility in that, right? You know, kneel, kneeling is a sign of sum, submission and humility. So uh, receiving a blessing requires humility. Uh, and and it's not a, it's not a, a demeaning humility. It, it's, it's, it, there's relationship here. But then on the other side, to give a blessing, for someone to give a blessing that can be received in, in a way that... that that honors the person who is receiving. The person giving has to come from a place of whole, has to be giving from a place of wholeness as well, right? Uh, if 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 I if I'm giving something to somebody from a place of I'm I'm better than you are, and here you know I'm the savior. Look at look at me up here and you down there. Bless your little heart. Here's charity. Is that is that is that is that bringing life and dignity to that person? No. Is that is that lifting me up? No. It's actually degrading. It's degrading me as well. So there, there is there is a place of of wholeness that the Lord comes to as as one who is giving blessing, and He's calling Abram to a place of humility and submission. And Abram's there, right? He, Abram Abram is there. He he's he's so submitted that he left everything behind and is on this journey of faith. The other the other uh, word I want to look at is as God is saying, "I will make your name great." The the word "make" in Hebrew can be translated to grow, uh, to make great, or to rear. So there's this, there's this fatherly sense of, of the Lord is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey, and I'm going to raise you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to grow you on this journey. And in doing so, in, in this maturing process, I'm going to bless you. And, and we see this, this fatherly relationship, Adam and Eve in the garden. Noah walking before God, walking with, with God. And, and Abraham now calling on the name of the Lord, responding to this invitation, this purpose of, of God's covenant with him. There is a fatherly relationship that the Lord wants with his people. Okay, so the story continues uh, in, in 12, and, and the, the covenant gets put to the test pretty quick here. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, Abram, okay, he, God changes his name to Abraham, and it just rolls off my tongue easier. So he's Abram at this point. So Abram and Sarah, I moved to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. They go, they go to Egypt, 
And there's this whole thing, right, where Abraham says, I'm a nomad, I'm going into this culture, and my wife, who, by the way, when the story picks up, Abram is 75 years old, and we know from a later, later in the story that, that Sarai is 60, I mean, is 15 years younger. So Sarai's at least 60 years old at this point. But Abraham says, my wife is so attractive, I'm afraid they're going to kill me, take my wife and all my stuff. So uh, let's tell them I'm your brother. <laughs> um, so the, the, the scenario does play out a little bit, right? They, Sarai is noticed. She's invited into the, into the Pharaoh's harem. And God intervenes right there and then. I will do what to those who curse you? I will curse those who curse you. And, and, and this disease falls on Pharaoh and his household. And Pharaoh's going, what in the world's going on? He figures out, this is, this is Abram's wife. I don't know what all he was thinking of me. He's like, he was ticked off. He said, why did you not tell me this? So he sends Sarai back along with tons of gifts. And, uh, and, Ab- and Abram and Sarai, he sends Abram and Sarai on their way. So... So this appears to be a pretty knucklehead decision on Abram's part. So, but, but God intervenes because he, he is a covenant-keeping God. He's a faithful God. Now, what, what we do see is that does Abraham continue calling on the name of the Lord? Yes. He continues on this journey of faith. He continues pressing into the Lord. So it's not like, a hey, in this covenant, do whatever you want. You know, I'll come behind you and always pick up your mess and do it. That's not, that's not what this covenant is about. But in our brokenness and in our mistakes, the Lord is a covenant-keeping God. So there's this point of tension in chapter 13 where where Lot, who has inherited his father's, uh, who's who's gotten his inheritance from his father after he passed away, his, his possessions, land, flock is growing so big that they're competing, his competing for space in this nomadic life. And uh, so finally, Abram, Abram says, hey, I think it's better if we part ways. You pick the best spot, and Lot goes on his way. And uh, at this point, God steps in and says, okay, now, east, west, north, south, this is, this is the land I'm giving you. So there's, when I was growing up, there was this, uh, the way I heard this passage unpacked was, Abram wasn't fully obedient to leaving his father and his father's family until he and Lot separated. And, uh, and, and, and I don't think the timing, the timing of God stepping in and saying, okay, now that, tech, now that Lot is on his way, here's the next step. But I honestly think that Abram had a love for Lot and considered him his son. That when, that when his brother died, that Abram took on the fatherly role in Lot's life. And you, the, the amazing thing about Scripture is that you see, you see tons of this God's heart for the fatherless woven into Scripture. And, the, and, and my, my take, this is just my own interpretation. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have, there's not some secret extra biblical text or something that, that tells us that's going on. That's just Brendan's interpretation of, of what's happening here. But I feel like it's significant. And, and what happens next, <laughs> I feel like, Adds to that, uh, adds to his uh, a picture of his love for for Lot. Um, to save time, I won't read uh, God reaffirming the covenant, but but ultimately you have at, 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 after God reaffirms uh, the covenant in verse eighteen, God Abram is as he's pitching his tent, he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord again. 
So then we have this, uh, another, another test of the covenant here, uh, and that is uh, Lot moves to the, the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah and their, and their judgment unpacked in a few, a few chapters. But he moves to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then this war breaks out. And uh, so there's, there's four kings on one side, and the, the, the lead king in, the, in this group is Chador Laomer. That's a mouthful for me. We'll call, it, we'll call that Team Cheddar. And then, and then we have a, a, another, another grouping of five kingdoms, the head of the, and we hear the king of Sodom mention, mention them. So Team Sodom, Gomorrah, and Team Cheddar. Now, Team Cheddar has been, has been uh, ruling over the other country or other nations, uh, clans, tribes. For about 12 years, they've been paying tribute, but then the five tribes are rebelling. So there's, there's, a, there's a battle, there's a war, and Team Sodom and Gomorrah lose. What does that mean for Lot, who's living in Sodom? It means that he and all his household get carried away as spoils of the victory. So somebody escapes from the battle, runs, and tells Abram, who, how old is Abram? He's well past 75 at this point. And he says, all right, guys, here we go. 318 fighting men are going to rescue Lot, who, again, I think he's, he thinks Lot, he treats Lot as his son. And I say, I'm going to, I'm going to get Lot. And so we don't know any details of the battle, but these 319, you know, Abram included, they, they rescue Lot. But not just Lot, but who else did they rescue? The, 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 other, the others who had, been, who had been taken in captivity were rescued. And, uh, and, and so I got to thinking about this passage. God said, I'm going to bless you, and all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Who, who are the first nations that are blessed as a result of this covenant? Sodom and Gomorrah? They, they, were, they, were, they were blessed in that they were, they were rescued out of captivity by Abram. Now, is there any way that 319 men can defeat four tribes? I don't think so. I think that's supernatural blessing, supernatural protection from the Lord. But there's other nations that reap the benefits of it. And honestly, I think this is God's mercy. We even see this in this amazing interaction between Abram and this high priest, who, who we, there's, there's these little glimpses of Melchizedek in, in both the Old and the New Testament. But there's this place where Melchizedek blesses Abram. And Abram worships the Lord by tithing a tenth of what he has to the Lord. And it looks like the king of Sodom is sitting there watching this interaction. God is showing the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who he is. He is a merciful God. And, and, and I see this in many ways like, like the story of Jonah. And does the, it's, so, it's heartbreaking that, that what plays out in Jonah doesn't play out here because the people in the story of Jonah, they repent. But do we see any repentance in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? We don't. We don't. But I believe it's God's heart that, that, that he's revealing himself to this, these, these nations prior to their judgment. And, and I even think in the interaction where, where God is talking with Abram before he's, gonna, before he's about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham is, is looks like there's a negotiation going on, right, of, of Abram, Abram saying, what well, there's thirty people or twenty people, or what, what if what if there's ten people? Will you will you will you spare these nations? 
uh, or this, these cities. And is God, is God kind of on the fence? Is he, is he duplicitous like, ah, maybe I will, maybe I want, depends on how I feel that day. That's not, that's not God, how God is coming about this. You know what I think is happening? I think what's rising up in Abram's heart of, of, of just crying out for these people is God's heart. He desires that none would perish. And so there's something in Abraham that God, as the father, wants to encourage, wants to engage with Abraham. And the same thing with my kids. When I see my kids passionate about something that's really important to me, what do I do? I engage with them. I tie, bring them into the, I bring them into the story. I, I, they're part of the journey. And so I think, I think God is, is, in, is, is negotiating with Abram because he's saying, yes, this is my heart. And yet, because God's judgment is right and true and is a part of his character, just as his mercy uh, and, and redemptive work is a part of his character, we see Sodom and Gomorrah. We see judgment falling on Sodom and Gomorrah. Blessing flowing through Abram. How often, how often do we, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, just totally, totally write off somebody of, no, that person's not deserving of God's blessing. They're not deserving of the, of the gifts God has blessed me with. I'm going to go some. I'm going to go somewhere or, or invest my blessing somewhere else. That's not how the. That's not how. The, that's not the Lord's heart. And and I believe He calls us to, as His people to press into His heart and say, "Okay, Lord, who who are you calling me to fight for? Who are you calling me to pour out my life for?" Because in reality, Abram was going to. Rescue Lot. I think that's what that was his motivation. But he was going at great risk, right? There was risk involved. Uh, he would very likely have lost his life. Uh, so I believe the Lord even calls us to risk greatly, to be a blessing to others, to to proclaim both uh, to, to proclaim His redemptive mercy to others. Okay, um, moving right along here. So the dust settles, Lot, Lot, Lot still uh, out of the picture in Sodom and Gomorrah. Dust settles after Abraham rescues Lot. And the Lord re-engages Abram uh, with, with this covenant and, and, and unveils another layer uh, of his covenant that he's making with Abram and Abram's descendants. So I want to take back up with the, the text here and read in Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my, my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He, said, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, 
each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation as they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. And it gives some specific geographic references here. So God has, has begun laying a track record with Abram in this covenant. And again comes in and says, Abraham, I will be your shield. I will be your inheritance, your very great reward. And we know that faith is rising up in Abraham, but Abraham has a question in the here and now. How can I have how can I how can I have how can generations through me be blessed if I don't have a son? There's a, a, a member of my servant household right now that's my that's gonna be my and the one who inherits inherits my house, my possessions and my my name, my lineage. It's gonna stop. And what does God do? This is, this is one of my favorite interactions in all of Scripture. He says, Abraham, he, says, he calls him outside and he says, Abraham, look up. And Abraham looks up and he says, look at the stars. This covenant is so much bigger than anything you can imagine. It's bigger than what you can understand. It's bigger than you can count. And this is something tangible, right, that, that Abraham can see, but it's an expression of God's infinite purposes in, in this covenant that he's making with, with Abraham. When, when we lived in Uganda, uh, we lived in a rural area. It was an area where the civil war that happened there back in the 80s was fought, and there's a ton, a lot, the civilian casualties were, were just horrendous. And uh, the ministry that we were, that we were with had sprung up on the heels of that war. It ended up being, it's, it's currently, it's amazing. There's church planning, equipping. Uh, there's a school that they work with uh, orphans and vulnerable kids. But uh, there's a family group, a foster family. It's a Ugandan foster family and 15 to 20 kids that lived in a, in a grouping of huts together. There's several different family groups in, in this, this uh, community that we lived in. Um, but we did devotions, weekly devotions with this. We were connected to one of the families. It's kind of aunts and uncles in the family for the time that we were there. And so we would do weekly devotions. And uh, for one series of devotions, we, I got, we got into Psalm 19, the heavens declare the, the glory of God and the skies, his handiwork. And we were talking about stars and constellations and the sun, the moon and solar systems. So I, I like astronomy. and I, I love the way it declares the glory of God. But uh, so anyway, a, a day after one of those devotions, a 19-year-old, young woman who is a part of the family 
where uh, she was also in, uh, worked in the, the ministry training school there where, where I was on staff. And she said, Uncle Brennan, thanks so much for talking about, teaching us about the stars. I've never seen them before. And this is a young woman who grew up in the bush. And, and in, in our area, the electricity might, might, might have been on a couple weeks out of the, out of the uh, month. And man, when the electricity's out, out there and you look up at the sky, it is unbelievable. The stars are just glorious. And you know, one of the things about trauma uh, is you're in survival mode. Your head, you're, you're head down, just, you're just trying to survive. And so what this young woman was saying was, you know, for the first time, you know, it's not that she hadn't seen the stars before, but something about the, this interaction together as a family had allowed her to take a little bit of a breath and look up. Not just see the stars, but contemplate who the Lord is, the maker of these stars, in, in, a, in a new way. And I, I think that's some of what's happening here with Abram, is God is saying, look up. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what I believe the Lord is calling us to as his people, uh, per- participants of, the, of this covenant. The Lord has called us on a faith journey That's that's... More than you can control. <laughs> I have control issues. This is more than I can control. This is more than I can do in my own strength. More than you and I can understand. Right? It's more than we can understand. And he wants to walk with us. He responds to Abraham's questions. How do I know? How do I know that this is going to happen? How do I know that this, this dirt I'm walking on is really going to be something that my people inherit. inherit. And, and there's this amazing you know, ceremony that happens. It's pretty gruesome, right? Whacking several livestock in half and laying, them, laying the pieces apart. That's a pretty gruesome thing. And one way to look at the covenant, uh, you know, the, way, the way it's set up, is that, hey, let, let what happened to these animals happen to me if I break covenant with you. Uh, and so this, this, this visual presence of this smoking pot walking in between uh, these, these sacrificed animals. And the, the word that it uses to make covenant is literally cut. God cut covenant with Abram. I want to, to close, I want to read uh, this passage out of, a passage out of Romans 4 that gives us a little, a little picture of uh, what's going on with, with God and Abram. There's some really neat interactions uh, throughout throughout the New Testament, uh, and and I think they're going to come up later in the series. I think I'm going to start in verse nine. I want you to listen to this as as an inheritor of this covenant, a participant in this covenant. This verse is going to start out talking about circumcision, which comes a little bit later. It says, "Is this blessing the blessing of?" Uh, forgiveness of salvation. Is this, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Was it not after? Or it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So 
Is, is righteousness inherited on, a, on an act of circumcision or, or the acts of keeping the law? No. Righteous, righteousness was counted to Abraham from, by what? Faith. That's something that we inherit as, as those who are outside the covenant that God made with Israel, but we are inheritors of this, faith, of this covenant that God initiated with Abraham. By Israel, I'm meaning the Mosaic covenant that God made with, with the people of Israel. Therefore, the promises come by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were, not, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God is calling us to faith, and he's calling us to a faith that showers blessings so that we might be a blessing to those around us. So as we respond to the Lord here right now, I want you to ask him, Lord, what does it mean for me to radically, at great risk to myself on this journey of faith, of following you, what does it look like for me to be a blessing, for, for me to be a participant in this covenant that you made with Abraham and his descendants. You're a descendant of Abraham if you're a follower of Jesus. And you have been blessed so that you might be a blessing. Would you, would you stand up with me? This passage in, in Romans said, he believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This is the tension <laughs> that God is calling us into to live in a place, to hope for things that are impossible. And again, at cost and risk to us as we share the blessing that God has given us. So Lord, would you, would you make this very practical to us as your people this morning? Would you show us in our moment-by-moment -moment walk, what does it mean to be a, a woman or a man of faith? To say yes in obedience, actual steps of obedience, where I am taking blessing that you have given me and I am showering it out. I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm demonstrating the gospel to those around me to the point where I'm entering into impossible situations where only you, God, can bring life, where only you, God, can call into being the things that are not. Holy Spirit, lead us. 
So as Christopher uh, leads us in a time of worship, if there's, if the Lord is stirring something in, inside you that you want to respond to, normally the front is, is here. Right now the front is here in the middle. If you, wanna, if you would like to be prayed for or to pray with someone in responding to the Lord, please come as we worship.